Hello, hello, hello. So I have some absolutely amazing news before I start this episode of the podcast. This month, Des Kelly Interiors will be sponsoring my podcast, the Shane Walsh Podcast, to celebrate Sleep Timber. Des Kelly Interiors are an Irish-owned business specializing in all things beds, mattresses, flooring, carpets, and home furnishings. They have nine showrooms across Dublin, Kildare, and Meath. This month, they are celebrating Sleep Timber, where they will be running massive discounts across all nine stores in their bedding department. They'll be talking all things sleep on their socials, so make sure to tune in. I've always talked about the importance of sleep and I've had the amazing Tom Coleman on and he has done the research for Des Kelly on this side of things as well. And I'm honored to be working with a brand that values sleep as much as I do. They have a huge range of beds and mattresses as well as a dedicated fitness connection range. They have very kindly offered and given me a discount code for all the listeners. When you quote Shane Walsh in store, you will get 10% off all beds and mattresses. So I hope you guys enjoy the episode and massive thank you to Des Kelly Interiors for sponsoring the podcast. So I am absolutely over the moon to announce that the new intake for the female fat loss program, which is starting on the 3rd of October 2022, is now available for spaces for people to join and people to sign up. So how does it work? You will get tailored calories from myself. You will get education on how to move away from yo-yo dieting, looking for the quick fix. You will learn how to train and nutrition around your cycle and manage your cravings your pms whatever it may be perimenopause menopause whatever questions you may have if you listen to any of the q and a episodes you will see that the people are who are in those facebook groups who are like-minded people looking to improve and improve their education improve their health whatever it may be so you're in a, a focal point in a main group for people who are in the same headspace are sending in questions and i will put episodes on those so we have a weekly q a when questions kind of come in which is amazing and then you will have exercise videos if you're unsure of anything. You'll have recipe books that you can use, which are my fitness pal friendly. So they enter in the information for you. Everything is tailored towards you as well. So if you are interested in working with me as a, in the female fat loss program and you want to get going, get your goal, I would highly recommend to do so. The people who are in it have had amazing results so far and i'm really excited to see where the next group is going to go as well so starts on the 3rd of october 2022 so the link is in the show notes below i look forward to seeing you there hello 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 so thank you so much for listening to the next episode of the shane walsh podcast i know that you people who listen to this have been enjoying the q a's and looking for more client episodes and stuff so i'm working on the background to try and invite some of the clients on it can be sometimes it's up to the individual like imagine it's kind of like stepping up on stage is our biggest fear is stepping up on stage and not having people accept us or like us that's one of the biggest fears that a lot of people have and today's podcast is a Q&A and questions that have come in from the most recent female fat loss group which is currently running and then there will be a new one starting up on the 3rd of October. So there's a link below that if you are interested, you can jump into that. There's a link below which you can apply for. And I'm excited for that. The, the group that's currently running is the biggest group we have so far. And it, some of the results in there are amazing. And the groups that we've run before, it's it's amazing from everyone. So yeah, so the, 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 the podcast today is a Q&A. So and it was there's a lot of interesting questions that have kind of come in and one or two of the topics may have been covered before so i'm not sure how long this episode is going to last i'm going to try and keep it under a certain threshold because i know time is tight today so one of the topics that's going to come in is caffeine will it dehydrate you 
Number two, which I think will be a short enough answer, which is tracking steps without a tracker, how to do it. Number three is I'm on 1200 calories and not losing weight. That topic has definitely been covered before. Number four is I want to stop snacking. It's a problem I have with snacking in the evening. Then the last one is my fat head is always talking and I want to get some body confidence. That's going to be a hard one to dissect and it has been covered before on previous episodes. So I will link a, a link in the show notes for you on those two podcasts and then the relation to boredom meeting, how to reduce boredom meeting. So I suppose I think if we start off with caffeine and will it dehydrate you? So I think like caffeine is one of the most popular beverages in the world. Like most of us drink it and most of us drink tea, most of us drink coffee or whatever it may be. Some people don't and massive credit to you for not doing that. I only started doing it as soon as I became a face-to-face PT as a way of getting through my sessions. And now it's something that I enjoy max two a day, absolute max two a day. I won't be able to do any more. And a major reason why people drink coffee is for its caffeine, kind of like a psychoactive substance that helps you stay alert and aids performance. But I think a lot of people will use caffeine as a way to kind of escape their poor sleep routine and sleep hygiene and sleep habits. And one of the big things that's out there is that can caffeine actually be dehydrating for you? And if you think of what your caffeine is or coffee is, coffee is grounded caffeine granules and water. Okay, so there's water in your coffee. So when people are giving out the recommendations of say two liters of water a day, that's including water from your food, that's including water from say tea or coffee, and that's including water from the physical bottle or jug or cup or glass that you're having. So it's that two liters is coming from all sources, not that you have to drink two liters, but your hydration status is generally based off your color of your urine. If your urine is bright yellow, it means you're dehydrated. If your urine is very, very, very clear, you could be too de- too hydrated. And then it's meant to be like a clear, but like a mild yellow substance in it, ideally. But that's, people could pick that up wrong and try to be perfect with it. But so as caffeine is something that a lot of us enjoy, the caffeine will pass us through the gut and into the bloodstream eventually reaches your liver where it's broken down to several compounds that affect how organs like your brain function. Though caffeine is mainly known for its effects on the brain, research has now shown that it may have a diuretic effect on the kidneys, especially in higher doses, which means it makes you go to the bathroom that little bit more. And what diuretics are substances that can kind of actually cause your body to make more urine than usual? And this may do so by increasing blood flow to your kidneys, which spurs them to release more water through urine. By encouraging urination, compounds with diuretic properties like caffeine can actually may affect your hydration status. And there's different types of kind of caffeine and stuff like that. But the main ingredient in a cup of coffee is is water. It depends on what you're doing, whether it's an espresso shot, whether it's decaf coffee, whether it's instant coffee, brewed coffee, whatever it may be. They're going to have different levels of, of water. They're going to have different levels of caffeine. So even though coffee or caffeine in coffee may have a diuretic effect, it's unlikely to dehydrate you. So for realistically, some studies have shown that for caffeine to have a significant diuretic effect, studies show that you need to consume more than 500 milligrams per day or the equivalent of about five cups. 
40 ounces or 1.2 liters of brewed coffee. Now 1.2 liters of coffee is a lot of coffee. That's a lot of coffee. And if you're having that much coffee, there's no way in hell you're sleeping correctly. Your stress is probably heightened. Like caffeine is a great performance tool. Like if you have say, I'm back playing football now, and if I have a match in the mornings, I'll have a cup of coffee about 60 minutes before the match, if I feel up to it, if I feel I need it, in order to aid my performance, because the caffeine takes 60 minutes to hit my body. But if I have a match like I do tonight on the night recording this, I'm not gonna have caffeine. My match is at what, half six this evening? I'm not gonna have caffeine before that because I won't be able to sleep. I'll already be wired when I come home already because it's a late match. So other studies have shown in 10 casual coffee drinkers review the impact of drinking 6.8 ounces, which is about 200 milliliters of water. Lower caffeine coffee, all right, 269 milligrams of caffeine, and high caffeine coffee, 537 milligrams of caffeine on signs of dehydration. And what the researchers observed was that drinking the higher caffeine coffee had a short-term diuretic effect, whereas the lower caffeine coffee and water were both hydrating. So in addition, other studies have shown that moderate coffee intake is as hydrating as drinking water. So what people are gonna latch on to that is, I'm just gonna drink coffee to get my water intake up. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is it's probably danger in the dose for the individual. And there's other studies showing that a study in about 50 heavy coffee drinkers know that drinking say 26.5 ounces or 800 milliliters of coffee daily for three days was equally as hydrating as drinking the same amount of water. Also another analysis of 16 studies discovered that taking 300 milligrams of caffeine in a single sitting equivalent to three cups of brewed coffee increased urine production by only 3.7 ounces, 109 milliliters, compared with drinking the same amount of non-caffeinated beverages. So even when we have coffee, it makes you urinate more, but it shouldn't dehydrate you as you don't lose that much fluid than you originally drank. So yes, you may be consuming a little bit more fluid, but you're not losing as much as that you drank. So it's, I think it's really important to understand that side of things. And like, where did this kind of stuff come from? Because there was the idea that caffeine can actually promote dehydration isn't a new one. It was a very small study, an influential study back in 1928, which is a long time ago, nearly 100 years ago, saw participants pee out about 50% more urine when they drank caffeinated water and coffee. And most of us have this effect. It is a diuretic. And can we say that it is a dehydrator? No, because we don't urinate as much as we're taking in. There will be different responses to caffeine. Some people will have higher thresholds and be able to consume more. Some people will be able to consume less. So, but if you are relying on caffeine to be able to function as a human, you're not, probably not functioning as a human. Like if you're someone who gets up first thing in the morning, has a coffee and then has another coffee and then doesn't eat until like 12 or one o'clock in the day, coffee is like, it's, it can be an appetite suppressant, all right? So you're not, you're almost stressing yourself out first thing in the morning by adding coffee. Take 60 minutes to eat your body. So drinking two coffees back to back is just stressing you out even more before you even start the day when you're meant to be more, like your body's already stressed the most in the morning anyway. So you're pouring more fire onto, or fuel onto the fire by having more caffeine. So should you drink coffee to maintain your hydration status? You can include it 100%, but I rely on it? No.
I would like your say if you're aiming for your two liters of water a day or one and a half liters of water a day, your coffee can count towards that or your tea can count towards that. But what I what I aim to get more water in through its natural origin, like a glass of water, probably that's what my preference would be from myself. I know I feel better for it. I feel uh, cognitive functions better. I'm not as tetchy. I'm not as edgy. And that's the things that people forget. You shouldn't need caffeine to get through the day. I drink it because I like the taste and it's also a way of socializing. So that's why I do it. Or on match days, I'll use it as performance aid. But my most important thing would be to get my sleep. And I'll make sure that I get at least two liters of water into my body a day. I can definitely feel it. Like yesterday was one of those instances I was traveling all day and didn't get enough water into my body. Not ideal the day before a match. And now I'm trying to get a little bit more water into my body today than I would normally drink on a match day. But it's something that needs to be done. I won't be having as much caffeine today. I'll just be trying to get more water in. I'm trying to get more food into my body so that I'm able to perform this evening. So does caffeine dehydrate you? No, because it doesn't, you don't urinate as out as much as you are drinking. It still holds on to it. So hopefully that answers that question. So in relation to tracking steps without a tracker, this is a really interesting question. I've done episodes on this before with Daniel and Amanda from Recalibrated Bodies on the step counts and stuff. And what we find that is the 10,000 step count that we have that's out there as a marketing tool, there isn't actually any added benefit to it for a kind of sweet point, if that makes any sense for fat loss. Obviously, if you have more steps, the better beneficial it will have for you, but if you can't stick to it, there's no point in trying to aim for 10,000 steps. So tracking steps that I a tracker. I haven't tracked my steps for a very, very long time. Very, very long time. I just try to take the pressure off myself of saying, right, have I gone out for a walk this morning? I either aim just to listen to a podcast episode or an album or a chapter of an audiobook and keep an eye on that. And that's what I aim to go out for. Or else I just aim to go out for a walk on no headphones and say, right, I'm just going to do a couple of laps of the block or I'm going to go and walk to get a coffee. I'm going to walk the park with a friend or whatever it may be. So ways to track your steps today, a tracker would be some of those. You have probably an internal tracker onto your phone. It's not 100% accurate. None of your watches, none of your trackers, none of your garments, none of your brands, whatever it may be, are 100% accurate. Because if you don't move, if it's on your wrist and you don't move your wrist, it's not going to pick up that mechanism. If it's on your ankle, like an anklet, it could be a little bit more accurate, but we're not going to wear watches onto our ankles, realistically. So tracking steps without a tracker, you can do it on your phone. You could just say, right, I'm going to set a time for myself and go out for that. Go half an hour this way, half an hour back. It generally takes about an hour and 20 minutes, I think, for most people to do about 10,000 steps, which isn't a huge amount of time. It isn't a huge amount of time. But, and it's also another question that kind of came in relation to steps is, if I'm getting, say, 11,000 steps through non-meaningful going out for a walk, does that count towards my steps? Yeah, 100% counts towards your steps. You're still moving. Your body can't differentiate between going out for a walk and just general movement. That's not how the body works. 
will be going out for a walk and getting fresh air help you and you can push your intensity up to get your heart rate up and get your your health up that way and your mental health up is that an aid yes 100 percent. but it's not like it says right you're walking now so i'm going to burn more and but you're sitting now and you're walking around the house and you're burning less so you're cleaning up after the kids that's two very different things but your body can't differentiate between the two so whatever your total movement is i would 100 percent just count that like i know when sometimes i'm in between doing this i was pottering around the house or whatever it is and you're kind of moving around 20 or 30 minutes without even realizing it and that's kind of adding up over time and that that really really does help just to kind of get those numbers up if you are someone who tracks their calories or someone who tracks their steps but your body can't differentiate between kind of like a walk or just moving around the house it's not how the body works it's a clever computer but it ain't that clever so hopefully that helps on that side of things there are other aids you can use the trackers and stuff that you use aren't 100 accurate so i wouldn't overly rely on them there's a there's a high margin for error like i think it's up to like 50 percent in some studies but the majority of the studies would say about 30 percent. so if you got 30 percent less of your salary it you'd notice it so i would just take the pressure away from yourself i would just say right i've gone out for a walk for 40 minutes two half an hour walks, 20 minute walks, whatever it may be, or I've just potted around the house and I've been moving all day. There's no right or wrong answer, it's up to the individual. But if it's if the if the fitness tracker on your wrist is, I'm only at 9,990 steps and I need to get 10,000 steps, is kind of like triggering you or making you, not aiding your journey, then you need to look at, is it really the right tool for you? Like you wouldn't use a sieve to cook your pasta. You drain out your pasta with a sieve. So it's picking the right tool that you're going to work for and what's what's going to work for you. So hopefully that makes sense. The next question is, I'm on 1200 calories, but I'm not losing weight. And I know I've done this episode before. So this was one of the questions that kind of came in from one of the new starters in the currently current female fat loss program. And the person in question kind of sent that in and said, I'm on 1200 calories. And I was looking at what calories had been potentially allocated to the individual and they were tailored to that individual and they were higher than potentially been recommended to them on any other diet or by any other coach. And it was an element of fear that had ramped up. So say they've been like, I'm having 1200 calories. It's kind of like, unless you are a very, short in stature or have yeah very small in stature like whatever height it is i'm not going to be heightest and put a number on it then you may need 1200 calories but 1200 calories for most people is the recommendation for what a four-year-old needs and i wouldn't i wouldn't recommend having 1200 calories unless that's exactly what you need but most people don't need what they need and the person in question didn't need 1200 calories there was no way in hell that person was on 1200 calories in the position that they are potentially in because one i would say 1200 calories is unattainable for most it's too small a calorie amount and you're not it's not going to leave any wiggle room for the foods you enjoy like the likes of cakes and pastas or carbohydrates and stuff or 
the sweets that you enjoy. It's not going to leave any wiggle room for that. And ultimately, they're the first things to go when someone potentially goes on a diet. So why are we making it harder for ourselves? I would say what's happening is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you're on 1,200 calories. And Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, you're probably on about 3,500 calories for the rest of the week. And that's bringing your total up to, I'm going to pick a number, say 16,000 calories on average for the week. But if you were to aim for potentially like 17 to 1800 calories as a range, for example, for this client, for the rest of the week, you'd probably have a total of about 13,800, for example. I'm just picking the, num- the numbers maybe off. I'm just picking a number in my head. So you're still down 2,600 calories, but you're having more calories on a regular basis. You have more energy. You're better able to function. Your training gets better. You're having wiggle room for the foods that you enjoy. Because ultimately weight loss and weight gain comes down to the total amount of calories you are spending on a daily basis and eating on a daily basis. So we all know that if, I don't know if everyone knows this, some people may not. If you are consuming more calories than your body needs over a long period of time, your body will gain weight. If your body is eating less than your body needs on a regular basis, you will lose weight. So it's calories in, calories out. Yes, that's a very simplified version. It doesn't take into your psychological background, doesn't take it into your habits or your behaviors. So it is oversimplified what I have just said. It's a lot more to it. But most people who start off on 1200 calories are almost creating a failure rate for them, a failure thing to them straight away because the foundations haven't been set. The cracks are going to appear straight away. It's almost like picture building a house. You're trying to put the walls up, the windows in, the doors in, the roof on, the chimney on before you set any foundations. If you haven't got the foundations in, the walls are the house the house is going to collapse. So, and when you open my fitness pal, what happens is you're going to enter in two pounds of weight loss a week, and what's going to happen? That magic number is going to appear. Dieting shouldn't be what's the quickest and fastest approach for most people. Can it be that approach for most people? Yeah, you're going to be on it sometimes, you're going to be off at other times. In relation to, you're going to be on motivation, you're going to be off motivation. Right now, my goal really isn't to weight train. It's just, I need to recover from matches and running and new movements on my body. I recover from a minor injury I got. But I'm lucky in a way that the training I've done over the years has helped me to recover with that injury but in relation to 1200 calories if you weigh 1200 calories in the position where a lot of people start you will lose weight quite quickly if you're counting accurately if you're eating accurately i would say you would but it's not that you're not you're it's not that you're having 1200 calories if you're not seeing results most people that would have 1200 calories will lose it quite quickly but it's coming down to the point of, are you only having 1,200 calories a couple of days a week and the rest of the week is way over and it's bringing you into that calorie surplus, that total amount of weekly calories. And that's something that I'm working on the female fat loss program with the clients is, it's aiming for that weekly calorie target rather than one day being over and one day being under. It's like when you get your pay slip, you put out your bills at the beginning, I would say, and then you see what you have left for the rest of the month and you adjust your budget saying, right, I've got 300 quid a week to spend on X 
amount for stuff that I want to do. Okay, so I'm on 1200 calories and not losing weight. It's, I wouldn't say you're on 1200 calories. Definitely for the client that I was talking to and I've, I've kind of spoken about the thing that we dug into a little bit deeper, it was the fear of trying to be perfect. It was the fear of seeing that it was a higher amount of calories than they potentially had been used to. And it was like, I'm not going to get results if I eat this. But when you question and dug it into a little bit, it was kind of like, well, this is what you're normally having. And we taught it up and we worked through it. It's kind of like you're probably having about 3,500, 4,000 calories a day on the days you're not on 1,200 calories. That's bringing you into the surplus. So why don't we give ourselves this weekly calorie average and aim for, say, the 18 to 2,000 calorie mark Yes, it may, may you may not hit it every day, but it's the days you don't hit it, you have that little bit more for those foods that you enjoy on the weekends. It takes that pressure away, takes that perfection away. Because counting calories isn't for everyone. 100% isn't for everyone. If you have an eating disorder, you shouldn't be counting calories. You need to go to talk to someone. So, if I'm on 1200 calories, not losing weight. It's not that you're on 1200 calories. It's just that you're not being either adherent to what 1200 calories is. You're not on 1200 calories and or you're not sticking to what you are doing. So hopefully that answers that question on that side of things as well. I'll put a link into the show notes for an episode on that. So the next question that kind of came in was in relation to I want some body confidence. Okay, so I think body positivity and body neutrality body acceptance body confidence they're all words and all kind of phrases that have kind of come in to our vocabulary over a last over the last little while i think they're all incredible movements there are extremes on those elements too and when i read that message it was like my fat head is always talking it's kind of like that fat head is that voice, that inner voice, that inner critic. So the first point of call I would be, I would recommend going to talk to someone about it and going towards the counsellor to talk to, to talk about it because it's probably coming from somewhere in childhood of someone made a comment or parents have made comments about you or they have made comments about themselves and you've overheard and that talking to yourself in a negative way has been taught to you as the only way to talk to yourself. And if you have kids, you ultimately don't want that to have that knock-on effect because kids are like sponges. They pick up these habits from us. I was talking to a person yesterday and she is a mom of three and we were kind of chatting or whatever and we were kind of talking about like she had done slimming clubs and all this kind of stuff and she was like the biggest thing for her was like I don't want my client I don't want my kids to be picking up the language I have around myself I don't want them to be using the language I heard my mom use about herself I don't want that to happen and so when so she's kind of taken up weights training and she's heard these kind of sentences from her boys in particular and, and, and her daughter of 
oh, mom's so strong, rather than her physical appearance. It's like, mom's so strong. And they'll kind of like get involved by like having a push-up contest with their mom or squatting or getting the kids involved. But being very careful of the wording they're using around themselves because you may subconsciously or consciously think these things, but they are stemming from somewhere. It's a comparison thing. It's a self-esteem thing. And self-esteem is list, is linked to what we think other people are thinking about us. And from experience, from someone who has had body dysmorphia, that voice can ramp up, but it's having the tools in the arsenal to ramp that voice back down. It only escalates for me when I haven't slept properly or I've had poor night's sleep or I've been away with, yeah, generally my sleep when that kind of ramps up, if the voice ramps up. But if it's ramping up more and more again, you need to look at where you learned to compare yourself. You need to look at where you have learned that language from because it's been taught to you from somewhere, subconsciously or consciously. So you can't unlearn it. But I think... There's this body positivity, there's body neutrality, and there's also body acceptance. Okay, so I would say, first point of call I would say is recommend to go and to talk to a counsellor and potentially look at going to CBT, which is negative thoughts and dealing with those. And it can take a while, I can be uncomfortable. I'm not going to put it any other way. Like most people think that body positivity is like, I love my legs, cellulite and all, they are beautiful. Like, there are days where we have these negative voice ramps up and then we've got body neutrality, which is I love my legs because they help me run. So it's associating like, why do you like your legs? Why do you like your hair? And I've spoken to clients in the past and you're kind of working through like name two or three things that you like about yourself. My eyes, my hair, my toes are generally what are the three things that kind of come up the most. But when it comes to legs, stomach, arms, they're the ones that struggle. They're the two or three main body parts that kind of struggle. People struggle to ramp those up and struggle to use words around them. One, because they've probably been the the media that has been bombarded with them of looking like a certain model or whatever it may be through the media has been put onto them and that's what they need to be looked like. That's what they think they need to be looked like. Think is the big word there. Think they need to be looked like that certain way in order to be accepted. And also it's looking to be validated. I think an awful lot of people want to lose weight for validation from others when we actually need to look at what do we actually want to do. Most people lose weight for the wrong reason. Yes, there's health benefits of doing it, but a lot of people don't want to change the habits. They don't want to do the the inner work or the habit changes, the behavior changes. They just want quick results. They don't want to do the other stuff at all. But that other stuff is going to help you deal with the more stressful times, that side of things. So I think there's a fine line between body positivity and body neutrality and it's somewhere like body acceptance. So, and I would also say that it, when you start to become a little bit more body neutral and more, more body acceptance is probably when you get better results because you're not doing anything out of hatred for your body. Like if you look at it from an example of, I don't like, I hate my stomach and you're potentially a busy mom of, of like amazing kids. You're basically saying to yourself, subconsciously or consciously, that I'm not good enough because my stomach looks this way. But if you didn't have your kids, that stomach, that body that you have gave you your kids, you gave you your family. If you didn't have 
or where you are right now you wouldn't have your kids you wouldn't have your family that's essentially the, the kind of like that's ultimately what that could message could be meaning to you you don't need to look a certain way you want to look a certain way but you don't need to look a certain way two very 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 different things i've seen it with clients before of when they're trying to change something or change their bodies out of hatred they tend not to get progress for a while and then they're kind of like right let's actually change tactic here and say right and on the check-in sheets that i use with my one-to-one clients in particular is name three things that you're proud of doing this week name three things doesn't have to be fitness or weight loss related and the majority of things i'm I'm proud of my body that allows me to move I'm, i'm i'm happy with my legs that allow me to get strong and lit and squat I'm, I'm so happy with my arms. They allow me to hug my kids. I'm so happy with my face. It allows me to bring emotional attachment to my partner. We all have different functionalities and different uses for different parts of our bodies, but we don't celebrate them enough. We berate ourselves with them. Like, I don't believe body acceptance has to be that we or body positivity is that we have to love our body every single day i don't believe that's a thing i don't believe there's one person on this earth that loves their body every single part of the day every single hour of the day 365 days of the year so we need to understand what the approaches actually mean of of kind of body imperfections and body positivity and body neutrality actually mean first point of call is if you have an eating disorder you need to go I would highly recommend to go and talk to someone and go for therapy. If you're someone who has this negative voice of my fat head is always talking, it's like you need to go and talk to someone. That voice is coming from somewhere. What's your feed like on social media? What's your media feed like on social media? Are you watching the Daily Mail all the time on the female section or on the showbiz section and looking at other people's bodies? You owe it to yourself to curate your own feed. You could be bored, but you're, you're, if you open up your phone first thing in the morning and all you see is first thing in the morning is someone with big glutes, big quads and a toned stomach. And the last thing you look at night is the same pictures. Well, then you're essentially saying that's what you need to be, to, to kind of like, that's what you need to look like in order to be accepted. And the last thing at night is you're like, that's what I need to be look like and accepted. So it comes into your psyche over time. It kind of, if you think of like a, um, it kind of, if you write a pen over a piece of paper, that line gets thicker and that becomes a little bit more ingrained in you. So what is like one survey found that 83% of women and 74% of men are dissatisfied with their physical appearance at one time or another. And it could be when clothes shopping is happening, when a bathing suit, mirror or whatever it may be. So what is actual body positivity? Body positivity refers to having a positive view of your physical body, regardless of its shape, size, other, other, or other kind of like related attributes. It involves losing, loving your body for what it is, even if it's, it isn't perfect according to what you think society standards are. An example of body positivity is to look in the mirror and say out loud all the things you like about your physique you might say i love the way my arms look in this shirt or while my tummy isn't flat it's still beautiful while my tummy isn't flat 
this could be my organs. This could be my reproductive organs. My reproductive organs are giving me my kids. Town stomach or a flat stomach shouldn't be what we all need to be. Most people that like you're looking at on social media or on media don't actually look like that. We don't know what they've done to get there. We don't know what habits and behaviours or positive or negative habits or behaviours they've got to got to get to that point. Well, body neutrality is different from body positivity in that it doesn't involve always loving your body, but it's more about accepting of it. And so also, instead of kind of like concentrating on your physical appearance with body neutrality, the focus is more on the body's ability and non-physical characteristics. So an example of body neutrality is saying to yourself, my body is great and that it enables me to engage in, in activities I enjoy. My body is amazing and what I can give, it gave me two wonderful children. Body neutrality is about appreciating that what you can do, that what your body can do, as opposed to concentrating on how it looks. What can your body do for you, rather than how how it actually looks? Listen to that language. Like the body positivity movement has been around since the nineteen sixties as a form of kind of anti fat fat fatness activism, I think it's called, and I think now we're getting a little bit more body aware and i think there's an awful lot of work to do to it but the the kind of like i do like the 1960s isn't that long ago it's like 62 years ago 60 years ago and the body neutrality element comes from like intuitive eating or it's actually celebrating your body and celebrating the functionality of what your body can do for you it isn't based on appearance it allows you to appreciate what it can do for you. I think somewhere along the line, it's body acceptance of I'm proud of what my body can do for me. I'm proud of what my body does for me. There are massive benefits to what our bodies can do. It doesn't need to look a certain way to function. We may think we need to have a flat stomach to be accepted by society. But I would say, have you ever noticed that when you're on holidays, and I get these comments all the time from clients when they go on holidays, is I've never felt more accepting of my body because I realize that no one actually gives a crap what I look like. I'm able to be present with my kids. I'm able to, I'm fitter now so I can actually play on the beach with my kids. Your kids are probably why you do most things, why you work, why you want to be fit and healthy, why you want to make memories. They don't love you because you've got a flat stomach. They don't love you because your legs look a certain way. They love you no matter what. So when is it going to change that that kind of learnt tool that you have used of berating yourself is going to be dropped. Because berating won't work. There's an amazing book by Kristen Neff called Self-Compassion. I read that, I think, between the first and second lockdown. Genuinely was one of the best books I've read in the last three years. There's about four books that I'd recommend everyone to read. And I might do another podcast on books depending on what you guys want me from. Or want from me. But... Trying to lose weight or trying to change your body out of hate or disgust never ends well for a lot of people. And I've spoken to an awful lot of people recently from the podcast 
or just having conversations in general of when we ber- berate ourselves, nothing really changes because we're never satisfied. We'll always want more. We'll always want more. What is more? When is acceptance? Do we even know what acceptance looks like? List out of things that you like about your body and your physical appearance. I love my long legs. My shoulders look amazing. Have some positive affirmations. When you find yourself scrolling endlessly on social media, you owe it to yourself. This is one of the things that Harriet Harper said on the podcast episode. And go back to listen to that episode. We owe it to ourselves to protect ourselves from the crap that we take into our minds every day. If you're endlessly scrolling on social media, that's a choice. That's a choice of escapism. You're choosing to take in that channel or that feed into your psyche because you are doing nothing else because you're bored why not have an open and honest conversation with someone why not book in a counseling session why not chat to a friend it's uncomfortable 100% but it has to be better than feeling the way you potentially do right now Look at the feed that you have created onto your Instagram right now. If you go onto the grid, how many of those are potential people looking a certain way? If you look at my feed, it's more football chat and, yeah, it's mainly football. Or music. They're nothing to do with my job. They're nothing to do with how I look their interests that interest me when we stop seeing life as a way to burn calories or activity to a way to burn calories and enjoy it and celebrate our bodies being able to move it's a hell of a lot easier life is a hell of a lot happier so how do you get some body confidence I think the first step is going to talk to someone Number two is having tools in your arsenal in order to quieten down that inner critic. Potentially give that inner critic a name. And I spoke about this with one of my clients, Grace, and go back to listen to that client interview with Grace. She named her inner critic. I was like an inner bully. She named that voice. So when that voice ramped up, she was like, no, thank you. Rather than saying, you're an idiot, you're an idiot, you're an idiot. Those negative things, those negative voices, those inner critics, they thrive off negative energy. They thrive off negative comments. They, they, it's like fuel to a flame. It's just going to expand it. But if we say, no thank you, I'm good, thanks. It may sound silly, but it has to be better than the tool that you're currently using right now, which is probably just scrolling and on social media. You learnt those things from somewhere. You can unlearn them. If you heard your family, your friends, your kids say those wordings to themselves, like I've my fathead, I understand what they're saying there because I'm aware of it. 
am I an expert on body positivity or body acceptance or body affirmations or whatever it may be or body neutrality? Absolutely not. There are other people more qualified than I am on this. But addressing that inner critic and challenging those stories, having the tools in your arsenal to challenge those stories and celebrating what your body can do for you is a hell of a lot easier than the way you're going down right now. So the one thing that I would recommend to do if this is you that you're listening to this right now, particularly the person sent me that question, go and talk to someone. Don't wait any further to go and talk to someone. What generally comes back will be I'm not in a bad enough position to go and talk to someone. Do you go to the dentist when your teeth are falling out of your head or do you go to the dentist as you go along? The answer would probably be as you go along. We shouldn't only go to therapy or counselling or CBT when we are at the lowest points. That's not what it's for. We need to make continuous steps and strides. Most of us should be in therapy. That's my personal opinion. Therapy saved my life. I would not be here if I hadn't gone to therapy. So I'm a little bit biased. But a lot of the stuff that we believe about ourselves are is absolute stories. And stories are beliefs. Beliefs are not facts. Thoughts are not facts. I would say that a lot of the stuff that we believe about ourselves aren't actual factual. You just regurgitate the same story over and over and over and over again. But you've never challenged it. Men have the tools to challenge it. You may be tired of stress all the time, so that voice ramps up. You may be punishing yourself. You may feel guilty. All those things have been taught or self-taught or self-inflicted onto ourselves. So I would highly recommend to go and talk to therapy. So hopefully that has helped. If that has helped, please do send me a message. Please do send me a DM. And I wish you the very, very best of luck on that. I work through it with clients. Am I? But I would recommend work doing it alongside therapy. The the next one was in relation to I want to stop snacking. I have a problem with snacking in the evening. Is the next one. That's a story. You don't have a problem with snacking in the evening. That is almost like a justification for your action, saying that I have a problem with snacking in the evening. You don't have a snacking problem with snacking in the evening. What you have a problem is you're probably not giving yourself enough food during the day and you're working on prioritizing everyone else, prioritizing work, prioritizing doing everything else other than looking after yourself. Probably what's happening. You're skipping breakfast, skipping lunch, just aimlessly picking throughout the day, running around on empty, picking up the kids, dropping the kids off to school. And then in the evening, your energy is so low you're aimlessly picking in the evenings so that the higher calorie, the higher highly palatable foods, tastier foods go into abundance and then you're snacking. It's not that you have a problem. It's probably that you just don't have anything organized or you probably don't focus enough on yourself on that side of things. Now, if you have an eating disorder, that's very different. I don't think... People who have eating disorders are potentially listening to this podcast. I don't know. I know I have some that do and they've messaged me. 
but majority of people that listen to this are people who are struggling with weight or struggling with body acceptance and all that kind of stuff but it's not that you have a problem with snacking it's that you probably have other areas that need to be looked at if you probably concentrate on getting more regular meals into your day and actually filling yourself or fueling yourself during the day you probably won't need as much as you do in the evening so there's nothing wrong with snacking fruit is a snack but it's not the snack you're not snacking on fruit is my guess like I, my snack in the evening after dinner is an ice cream do I want to stop that do I want to drop that no because I enjoy it it's my chill out time it's my chill out time so the problem isn't that it's snacking in the evening it's probably looking at well what's actually the trigger for it is it that you're bored is it that you're hungry are you angry are you lonely are you tired are you stressed so if it's any of those how is food solving it the answer is it probably isn't but it's a tool that has been created or has been taught to you or learned by you that food is what i need to escape food is what i'm going to do when i'm bored we all bored of meat there's times where we snack all of us do it but the difference between you and i potentially is i don't beat myself up when i snack i don't have food guilt food guilt means you've done something wrong and then the overhanging thing of that is shame which is i am wrong i am wrong for snacking think about it if you heard your kids say that i am wrong for snacking i am wrong for having this chocolate bar i am wrong for having this takeaway you're not wrong for having any of those foods what is wrong is the language and the harsh critic that you are putting to yourself and the language you're using to yourself that's been taught so it can be untaught food guilt can be taught and it can be untaught it's not that you have a problem with snacking and maybe your mechanisms aren't in place there's no boundaries you're living your life to please everyone else and not looking after yourself enough that's huge things i was talking to one of my clients this morning and things are ramping up for her for going back to work and we're using a traffic light system which is prioritizing a list of priorities priorities excuse me a list of priorities so red amber green is a traffic light red is that it's urgent amber is it's not amazingly urgent and green that it's not urgent at all and looking at looking at the red task and saying right they need to be done and then looking at the other tasks they don't really need to be done asap the biggest question that helps me is and i can only talk from my personal experience is am i hungry enough for fruit most of the time i'm not hungry enough for fruit so i'm not actually hungry but i notice the difference is when i don't have my regular meals throughout the day like yesterday i was traveling i had my lunches i had snacks and stuff and i felt my faith self fading during the afternoon because i hadn't eaten enough for what my body needed i felt myself fading so i stopped off and went to the petrol station and got something there now i'm not a failure for doing that i'm actually giving my body the food that it wants i could have waited another hour i think it was that i was away from home but rather than that way in that hour i was like no i'm actually hungry now i'm feeling tired and fatigued my stomach is starting to rumble i'm going to give myself the the food that it needs so i had that food energy ramped back up and then when i got home i was like right i'm going to have a smaller dinner now 
I may not need the full dinner that I was planning, so I can have a smaller dinner. It's adjusting things. I have to use the same tools as you guys. You haven't got a problem with snacking. You haven't got a problem with boredom eating. It's the escapism that you're looking for. It's the lack of boundaries that you have. It's the lack of potential you time that you have in there. Like if you're a busy parent and stuff, your kids generally get priority and not enough love goes to yourself. But you're teaching that to your kids. Like one of the exercises I do with my clients is are you living by your values? And they look at me like I have 27 heads. Like what do you mean values? What are you living your life by? They're like I don't know. So I gave them an exercise. And I'll ask you a couple of things that have come in is it's looking for the desire to be accepted is looking for that desire to be needed that and family are the three things that come on top of it and then you look down the list and like health and activity is probably mid-range or at the bottom of the list but it's showing what you value and what you rank and why things are getting prioritized over another they're not wrong answers but it's kind of like right health and activity isn't a major value in your life so that's why things aren't potentially being focused towards that and what things are being focused towards at the minute is your family potential at work. And there's nothing wrong with those. But this spells that out for you. So if you type in finding your values into Google or there's a book called Values Factor by Dr. John Martini, It's eye-opening. I filled it in a couple of times. And my values have changed from 18 months ago to even 18 months later. My values have completely changed completely change and they're allowed to change they will change i'm sure they'll change again like 18 months ago it was all business 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 now it's kind of like no 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 no. my activities are family friends being there being present they're my main factors right now it's a massive pressure and weight load off your shoulders but it comes back to it again. It's not that you've had a problem snacking in the evening. Snacking isn't necessarily a negative thing. You're telling yourself you can't snack. If you tell yourself you can't do something, guess what's going to happen? You're going to want to do that thing even further. Think of the big red button. If you have more regular meals throughout the day, three meals, two or three snacks is a solid place to start. More often, you will probably snack less. Emphasis on what I've just said. We'll snack less. It won't stop the snacking, but it will snack less. Giving yourself permission to have snacks is a lot nicer and a lot sounder to yourself than saying, I can't have these snacks. Because by not allowing yourself to have snacks, when you have them, you're going to beat yourself up and say, I'm less of a person for actually eating something. Now, if you heard your kids or your family say that to you, you wouldn't be too amused. You wouldn't be too pleased. But you've definitely said it in front of your kids at some stage. So it isn't a problem with snacking. It isn't a problem with boredom meeting. If you're bored of meeting, find something that you can enjoy doing. If you're watching Netflix and the movie is crap and you're bored watching it, change the channel. If the football that you're watching is crap, change the channel. If you find yourself endlessly scrolling and all you're taking in is body images of someone else, you owe it to yourself to change that feed. You owe it to yourself to alter that feed. 
if you're feeling that you I think a lot of us are a lot of us feel lonely and sometimes in the evenings when we haven't got like partners or friends around us I think a lot of people have struggled with that so therapy could be an option for you if you feel you can't talk or don't want to talk ring up a friend text a friend ring up a friend for a walk a lot of my clients at the minute are getting that when they are potentially dropping off kids to sports in the evenings they are meeting up with other parents to go for a walk around the field while the kids are off doing their sports so they're getting human interaction which you've probably missed for two years they are getting noticed they are getting spoken to they are being heard and felt heard felt like they're being heard so if any of these things are coming up a lot of them can be in our control it's normally coming down to what we value it's normally coming down to lack of boundaries it's normally coming down to having people having that mindset of i'm a people pleaser you're not a people pleaser your mindset is a people pleaser it's looking for validation looking for it to be accepted by society so more regular meals will help you asking yourself the question am i hungry enough for fruit and the last one is asking yourself am i hungry angry lonely or tired and wait about 20 or 30 minutes there's a lot in there of caffeine will it dehydrate you tracking steps without a tracker I'm on 1,200 calories and not losing weight. Stopping snacking and boredom meaning I've linked the two because I'm kind of conscious it's nearly at an hour already. And then talking about body confidence. I'll put in an episode of Alex London in there. Um, there are loads of things. But I do think the body confidence thing is number one priority would be to go and talk to someone about it. Because um, it, it takes a lot of unwiring. You've learned it from somewhere that you may feel that you're not enough but define enough what is enough most people don't know what enough is how can we be enough and in order to figure out what enough is you need to be in line with your values and you haven't if you don't not align with your values then you're not going to figure out what enough is chicken and egg situation but the clients that come to me on a daily basis and i work on a daily basis the ones that talk to themselves in a more positive light like I had so I'll tell us really quickly I had one of my clients been with me for about six months okay come to me this morning and we've been kind of at maintenance now for the last three or four weeks okay so maintenance means kind of like give or take five ten eleven pounds kind of in and around and we were kind of like we needed to drop a fat loss phase so amazing results a lot of things have changed body confidence for the first we're like doing a lot of work internally and managing thyroid for the first six weeks and then we went into managing your training getting that right and then we started doing a fat loss phase for eight twelve weeks okay so it hasn't been all fat loss so we were at maintenance for the last four weeks and i got a message the purpose of doing this maintenance phase was so that she was aware of how far she had come of the tools that she has learned throughout the process and also having that awareness of i don't need to be on a diet all the time because that was the background so i got a message this morning saying shane i don't want to do a fat loss phase anymore i'm actually happy how i feel i feel strong in the gym i'm going to go into your next program but what i want to do is i want to get strong as fuck that's the message for bottom that i got this morning now that 
brings a smile to my face. Your goal on this earth isn't to be losing weight. Your goal on this earth isn't to be always losing fat. Your body weight, your body composition, how you look is the least interesting about you. Your parents don't love you for how you look. Your kids don't love you for how you look. Your partner loves you for who you are. But that message from where that person came from and started from with me is two of the biggest wins I've had this week. And if you can see my stories when I'm recording this, you'll hear it. Listen to Una's episode on client interview and hear what I'm talking about. But pushing ourselves to the limit, not looking after ourselves, not being creating our own feet, creating a boundary, looking at what can I do for me, the traffic light system. Having some sort of boundaries. Most people don't know what a boundary is, unfortunately. What can you say yes to? If it's not a hell yes, it's a it's a no. Your job on this earth isn't to people please everyone. Your job on this earth isn't to look after everyone else first. If you're not being looked after by yourself, how can you expect your kids to learn that? So Thank you for the clients that send in those questions. Caffeine, will it dehydrate you? Tracking steps without a tracker. I'm on a 1200 calories, not losing weight. Stopping snacking and boredom eating and then body confidence. So I'm going to put in two or three episodes that will talk about the those different things. You want to listen back to those. If you want to work with me on a one-to-one basis, pop me a DM or go to shanewalshfitness.com. If you want to go into the next female fat loss program that starts on the 3rd of October, the link up sheet is in my the show notes below, shamewatchfitness.com again. If you want to come to the female fat loss webinar on the yeah, on the in October in Dublin, please do come along. I'm looking forward to seeing whoever's there and meeting the clients who are coming along as well. Come on your own, come with people, bring friends, and pop me a message if you have any questions on it. But guys, thank you so much for listening to the episode. I really, really hope that you've enjoyed this. And I didn't mean to go on for an hour, but please do tag, share everything and I will talk to you soon.